You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Before we actually jump into the Bible, we are going to be in Joshua chapters 3, 4, and 5. So if you have a Bible, open up Joshua chapter 3, and we will be looking at Joshua 3, 4, and 5. Joshua 3, 4, and 5 happens 40 years after the Exodus. So after God rescues his people out of Egypt, it had been 40 years that they were in the wilderness. Now, 40 years ago from right now would be, I'm not great at math, but I believe 1981. What I want you to do, again, go back to the people around you. I just want us to think about what was happening in 1981. It was a long time ago. So for those of you who are over 40 years old, uh, barely David Bacon, David, I want you to think, so for David Bacon, you might not even need to look this up on your phone, but I just want you guys, and maybe with the Johnsons, I want you to talk to them and try to explain what your hairstyle was and what kind of clothes you were wearing in 1981. Okay? So those of us who are over 40, what were you doing in 1941? Okay? Or 1981. In 1981. I'm 41. In 1981, what were you wearing? What were you doing? What was that like? For the vast majority of you who were non-existent uh, in 1981, I want you to get on your phones and look, like Google image, like style Uh, Find the most, uh, what's the biggest thing that happened geopolitically, whatever you want to go, in 1981, because many of you have no concept of what was going on 40 years ago. So you have 90 seconds to either talk about or look up what was going on in 1981. Ready? Go. Nineteen eighty-one was a long time ago. Forty years is a long time. A long time has passed since 1981. When we get to Joshua 3, a long time has passed. A generation has passed since God did this mighty act of rescuing his people out of slavery in Egypt. And when he had rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, remember what he did, the way he did that was he brought them to the edge of the Red Sea. And he ended up, Moses stands and lifts up his staff and the Red Sea parts and Israel goes through. And God rescues his people and saves his people by taking them through the water. But then they rebel against God and they end up for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now God has gotten to the point where he is ready to bring his people into the promised land. The land that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land that he had been saying, even though you're in Egypt for 400 years, I am going to bring you into this land and bless you and give you this. And you're going to bring your blessing, my blessing, to all the other nations from this place in this land. And so in Joshua chapter 1, read that sometime when you have a chance. It's wonderful. He he says in Joshua 1.8, he says, be strong and courageous to Joshua. Moses is dead. Moses has died at the end of the last chapter of Deuteronomy. And now, Joshua, you are the new leader. Just as Moses led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea, now you are leading my people into the promised land through the Jordan. 
in chapter 2, read that when you get a chance. It's a great story of Rahab and the spies and her saving the spies. And the spies, when they see the red cord, they, the, they save her and her family. And then we get to Joshua chapter 3. And so Joshua 3, 4, and 5, we're going to look at today. And what it's full of, this is where they cross the Jordan River. And it's full of symbols. It's full of symbols because 1981 was a long time ago. And we would have forgotten some different things. So what the symbols do is three different things. One, they point us back to what God has already done in the Exodus. The second thing, the symbols point us to, they point Israel and they're a symbol to show them, this is what you're called to do and to be. And then finally, the symbols are going to point them forward, point them forward to what will come in time. So, number one, there's three prep days. Three prep days. Look at verses one through three of chapter three. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. So they get there, and then in verse 2, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And so, and so, there's three days between when they get to this place right on the edge of the Jordan River until they're able to go. They have to prepare for three days. Forty years earlier, forty years earlier, when God had rescued the people out of slavery in Egypt and he brought them to Mount Sinai, there were three days of purification at Mount Sinai before Moses would go up and receive the law and be face to face with the Lord on the mountain. And so here again, there are three days of purification, three days of preparation for what God is going to do. And these three days would remind them that we are the people who have received from God his commands, his law. And I wonder what it is for us today to have signs that remind us that we are being prepared that, and to take time to prepare ourselves for what God has for us. The second symbol, the second symbol is this, 10 football fields, uh, verses, verse 4. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. So what's going to happen is they come to the Jordan River. The ark, which is where the presence of God is, is going to go ahead of them. In a way, symbolizing that it's God who goes first. God is bringing them into the land. God is the one who's doing this. And they come behind him. But they are to stand this many cubits, which was essentially 10 football fields. So imagine 10 football fields, they have to stand behind the ark before any of them can go forward to show that it is God who is going before them. But this symbol actually shows something else. That amount, that 10 football fields was called a Sabbath day journey. So on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, an Israelite was able to walk, they could travel only 10 football fields. So even to this day, there is a, a Jewish synagogue, an Orthodox Jewish synagogue in South Tempe. 
and uh, they will only, all the, the, anybody who goes to that synagogue, because you're not allowed to travel by car, and you can only go 10 football fields. And so that neighborhood in South Tempe, all these Orthodox Jewish people, they will try to buy houses. And I had a friend who's a real estate agent, and he had this, this family came to him, and they said, we want, this house is for sale, it's close enough to the synagogue, we will do whatever we have to do to get this house. They didn't get the house, and so then they said, I want you to go, they asked my realtor friend, they said, I want you to go door to door to every house here and say, are you willing to sell your house? So he just starts, my realtor friend, he just starts going down, Ben, if some of you guys know Ben, he starts going, knocking door to door, he's like, I got people, they really want your house. You, may, you tell me what you're willing to sell it for, they'll take it. And, uh, and he ended up selling a house that way. Because, because you have to stay one Sabbath day journey behind. And so this symbol of 10 football fields staying behind the ark, God was leading forward and he was bringing the people into their Sabbath rest. After 40 years of wandering, he was finally bringing them to where they would have rest. Number three, the third symbol, the water's edge. By the way, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk through these seven symbols that you see here as they go through the Jordan River. When I'm going to ask you when I'm done with these, I'm going to say, is there one of these that jumps out to you? Like, is there one of these that's like, that's, man, that would, if I was, if I was one of these people that for 40 years had been wandering in the wilderness, had not been through the Exodus, but had been born in the wilderness, and, and now I'm here, I'm going through this, and God does this, for the rest of my life, I would remember that symbol, and it would really sit with me. Which one of, is there one of these seven as I'm going through these? Number three, the water's edge, verses 14 to 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upsteam, upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan while the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completing the crossing on dry ground. This is very simple. For the second time, and for the first time in 40 years, water is stopped. And God's people walk through on dry ground. Just as it had happened in the Red Sea in the Exodus, so it happens at the Jordan as they go out of slavery before and now as they come in to the rest of the promised land. Number four, 12 stones. 12 stones. Uh, chapter four, verses four through seven. So Joshua, they come, through the, they come through, and Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder. Picture this. So there's, there's one guy from each of the 12 tribes. And they're to go into the middle of the river as they're going through. 
and pick up a stone and put it on your shoulder so it's not a little rock. Imagine a big stone, and they got to carry it so many yards to get through the Jordan River as they're going through on dry ground. But carry this big stone. And as you do that, um, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel, so 12 of them, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? So you're going to carry these 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, and you're going to bring them to the other side, and then you're going to put them in a pile. And in the days and years to come, like when your children, like so when you have children, and then they ask you, like, what are these 12 big stones doing here? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Number five, dry water. And those 12 stones, remember, were for the 12 tribes. Number five, dry water. A few weeks ago, uh, Charlie, uh, maybe a couple months ago, Charlie, in one of his sermons, he was just trying to make the point of how dry the weather is here in Arizona. And he said, even this is, so Charlie, if you don't know, he manuscripts everything. I don't manuscript anything. It's obvious. But Charlie manuscripts everything. And the best part is when he goes off manuscript. And so he's off manuscript. He's trying to communicate to you guys how much, like how dry it is in Arizona. He's like, even in Arizona, the water's even dry in Arizona. But we have dry water here. Uh, verses 21 to 24. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, oh wait, what am I doing? Oh, I read the wrong one there. Oh, okay. So I just put those together. The 12 stones are the 12 tribes. He's saying, go and do that. The dry water, they walk through on dry water, and that's going to be something you're going to remind your children about. You're going to teach your children about the fact that we had dry water. And then the last two come after they go through. In chapter 5, uh, verses 2 through 9, I think this is fascinating. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, so they get through the Jordan River, they're on the other side, they've set up the 12 uh, stones, and they have that thing. And then at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeoth-Haraloth. Now, this is why they did so. Okay, that's weird. So they're going to circumcise everybody. All those who came out of Egypt 40 years earlier, all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. So everybody who had been old enough to fight and, and had left Egypt, they've died. Anybody, any of the men who had been circumcised are already dead. And so all the people that came out had been circumcised, but at the people, all the people born in the wilderness... So all of, you, all of you born after 1981, gentlemen, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land and he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They, will, they were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. And so, since they had been in Egypt, 
For that 40 years, they had not done this act of circumcision. The circumcision in chapter 5 here of this new generation born in the wilderness, it presents circumcision, which was not, it hasn't been emphasized in the Bible since Genesis 17. It's a restoration of life. It's like a death and a resurrection. This circumcision separates the new Israel from the disobedient wilderness Israel. Even though they had disobeyed. Even though they were Israel who had been forced to wander for 40 years. They were now in the promised land. And God was saying, I'm doing something new. I wonder if there's any of us sitting here today who need to hear that even though we've been disobedient, walking around in the wilderness because we'd rather make and worship our own golden calves. We'd rather try to go our own way and do it our own way. And because of that, we're sitting in our own mess. I wonder if it would be encouraging to think about the fact that all Israel, after 40 years in wilderness, not having that circumcision, they now do this ceremony, this symbol of circumcision of all the men as a way of saying, imagine as they're healing for the next several days, the whole nation, not going anywhere, just sitting there, wishing they had the ability to make ice. And they're just sitting there and realizing now something new is happening among us. God is finally doing something new. And then finally, this is, for me, this is my favorite one. Verses 10 through 12, the Passover. Chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, hold on, watch this. The Passover was what happened the night before the night that God would release his people from slavery in Egypt. And they're to eat this meal, and they're to eat this meal every year to remember that God had released his people. Remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus, remember the Exodus. And then they get out into the wilderness and they cry out to God and they say, God, we're so hungry. Why'd you bring us out here? We wish we could go back and be slaves in Egypt. And God sends manna. If you remember that story, he sends. Every morning they would wake up and there'd be this dry, flaky, like bread-like stuff on the ground. They would gather it up and they would eat it. It's like coriander seed. I don't even know what that means, but that's what the Bible says. And they would eat it every day for 40 years. That's what they're eating. What if you had to eat oatmeal every day for 40 years? And like oatmeal with nothing in it. That's what they had eaten. And watch this. Now they've come into the land flowing with milk and honey. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. Unleavened bread and roasted grain. Verse 12, watch this. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. 
there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. They're no longer in the wilderness. They're now in their land, the land overflowing with milk and honey and good fruit. And God is doing something new for his people. He's bringing them into this place. And so those are seven symbols that we see as they walk through the Jordan. I encourage you, read chapters 3, 4, and 5 sometime this week. And as you read it, watch these different symbols take root. So now I invite you to turn back to uh, the people around you. And, and uh, is there one of these that jumps out of you that's like, that, that would have been really cool to see. Like that would have, re- if I'd been, if it had been since 1981 that he had rescued us from Egypt, and now we're sitting here and we're about to, we're going through the Jordan. If this thing had happened with that, that would have really stood out to me and really been meaningful. Uh, share that and just kind of talk about that a little bit for the next couple of minutes. Ready? Go. So in Joshua chapter 1, in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord says to Joshua, Moses is dead. You're going to lead the people now. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. And then in chapter 2, they send the spies, and Rahab saves the spies, hide them under the sheaths on the roof, and, and, they do, and so they make it out. The spies come back, and they say, it, the Lord wants us to take this land. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, what we just looked at, God gives them all these symbols, and not just symbols, but he actually rescues them through the Jordan River and brings them through the Jordan into the promised land the land overflowing with milk and honey. From there, from 3, 4, and 5, in chapter 6, they're going to march around the city several times, and then Jericho is going to fall. And God's people are going to come into Jericho, and there, then, from there, for the rest of Joshua, they're going to take the land. And they're going to overwhelm all the other nations, and the land flowing with milk and honey is going to be theirs. It's amazing. But Joshua is followed by judges. If Joshua is going up and up and up, and God's people are going higher and higher and higher, and they're getting the land, and they're in the promised land, and they're getting it, Joshua is followed by judges, and judges starts on a downward descent in chapter 1, and it goes down from there until the end of Judges, it's so bad, it's so messed up, that there's this priest that is prostituting himself out, and they're cutting up kids, and all this different stuff. It's terrible. And it goes from there down to the end of Judges, and the rest of the history of Israel doesn't really get any better. It continues to go down and down. They continue to rebel, even though he'd rescued them, he'd given them all these signs, he'd brought them into promised land, and he'd given them all this. And he said, you're going to be a light to the nations now. But they didn't do it. And they kept rebelling over and over until finally they end up in exile. And God goes silent. Not giving them any more symbols for 400 years. God is silent. The people are in exile. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting for God to act and to do something. And then one day, there's this this crazy dude. Like this weird guy named John. This weird guy named John. He's a prophet of God. 
And John is out, guess where? You'll never believe this. He is out in the Jordan River. I wonder if as John went out into the Jordan River wearing camel hair clothes and eating locusts and honey, I wonder if John, as he goes through and he's telling the people to come with me, we're going to go into the Jordan River. I wonder if he'd passed those 12 stones that were still there to this day. And I wonder if as they passed those stones, they remembered God rescued us. And we are still Israel. We're God's Israel. And so he brought them out and he took them into the Jordan River and he would dunk these people in the Jordan River and then bring them back out. They would go into the Jordan and they would come out of the Jordan. Just as so many years earlier, God's people had gone into the Jordan and they had come out. And that's how God had finished his bringing the people into the promised land. And now John is saying, God is doing this again. There is a new exodus that is happening, but it's not about me. I'm not the one. There's someone else who's coming. I'm not even fit to untie the straps of his sandals. And then that person comes to John and he says, baptize me. And John's like, no way. I know who you are. And Jesus says, no, I need to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. To show that I am what all of that, all those symbols, all those signs has all been pointing to I'm the one who's now going to be baptized. I'm going into the Jordan, but I'm coming out of the Jordan. And so Jesus comes up out of the Jordan. The heavens open. The spirit comes down in bodily form like a dove. And the father says to Jesus, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And Jesus is now the new and faithful Israel. And just as God had brought Israel into the promised land, God brings Jesus into the promised land. In fact, Jesus is the promised land. And Jesus then calls his disciples. He calls us to him. And as we walk out of the waters of baptism back on the shore of the Jordan River and we look at those 12 stones, we realize that's us. That's us. We're God's people who has brought safely to this place. Let us now live freely in that. And so that's what the Jordan River is about. That's what baptism is about. That's why these symbols really, really matter.